0: was 19, I was looking for a room to rent in the city that I was moving to for college. It was about an hour away from my family. I wasn't having much luck, and that's when my mom started helping me look for a place. She found an ad on Craigslist for a room in a house for $300 a month, with everything included. The homeowner was a guy who rented the additional rooms upstairs to other women while he lived in the finished basement. The ad stated that he rarely ever saw the other roommates because he had his own kitchen and his own entrance downstairs, and that his preference for women renters was because he had issues with male roommates in the past, partying and causing damage to his home. We decided to go take a look, since it was the cheapest that we could find in the area. My mom and I went to the house to view it. Decent house, decent neighborhood. The man opened the door And was rather welcoming. He was a middle-aged guy and the kitchen and living room were furnished nicely and cleanly. My mom loves to talk and get to know people, so they were engaged in conversation while I just stood there quietly and observed the place. He then said that he would show me to my room. Naturally, I start heading towards the staircase to go up, because he said on the phone that my room was upstairs with the other roommates but he opens another door and we proceed to follow him. He takes us down to the basement and opens a door to a very small room, no closet and no windows. He proceeds to say that this is my room and I'll be sharing the bathroom in the hallway with him, and his bedroom didn't have a door on it. I was definitely thinking, absolutely not, this is weird but my mom and this guy were so deep in conversation that I just couldn't interject. He then leads us upstairs and shows us the other rooms, which the doors were open and says they are currently being rented. He then starts telling us elaborate stories about the other women residents. Not very nice stories, describing drinking problems specifically. My mom was listening intently, but I took the time to investigate further. I looked in all three rooms that he showed us, including the bathrooms. There was furniture, but not a single item in there that looked like it belonged to a woman. No clothes or anything like that. Just men's clothes in one of the closets. He had no problem with me creeping around his other tenants' rooms without their permission. I then heard him tell my mom that he has some of his stuff in their closets, but they don't mind. All the while, I'm just like, um, why the hell would a tenant pay you for you to use their space as storage? I was feeling really uncomfortable and started moving them back towards downstairs as they talked. My mom had mentioned when we arrived that her and my dad were going on vacation next week, but I couldn't go because I had work. He brought it up again, and then I should come by the next week and have dinner with him and the roomies to see if we would all get along. I did my best to put a happy face on before saying sure, and then me and my mother left. As soon as we got in the car, I told my mom I would definitely not be living there. She was dumbfounded by this. I had to explain to her that not only did he lie about the room that I would be in, that I was not supposed to be in the basement with him as well as share a bathroom with him, and he didn't even have a damn door, but also Did she not notice how no one else even lived there? She still didn't get it though, and thought I was just being paranoid. She thought he was nice, and that it was too cheap of a deal to pass up. I had to explain it to my stepdad and get him to tell her that by no means would I be living there. I tried to report the post, but by the time we got home, it had been removed. I don't think that dinner plan was benign by any means. I'm sure that he had something sinister up his sleeve. I'm not sure if it was something as cut and dry as taking my life, or if he had desired to abduct me, maybe holding me hostage in that basement room that had no easy means of escape. Whatever it was, I hope that guy hits a tree with his car one day. Edit. As I've been able to tell this story, more and more details have been coming back to me. This happened in 2011, so it's been quite a while now. When he took us upstairs, there was a wide landing that was surrounded by the rooms. As soon as we got up there, he motions towards one of the rooms and started this long, intricate story about the woman who lived in there, talking about her alcoholism and a crazy ex. He was very exaggerated in how he talked, with a lot of flamboyant gestures. My mom stood there listening to him, and I don't know if it was sheer distraction or if she didn't want to be rude by not listening. But either way, I don't recall her ever having a good look around those rooms. I went and looked. All doors were open, had neatly made beds with dark wood bed frames, bureaus with mirrors and nightstands. There were sliding mirror closets, and they were empty, except for the one that had men's clothes hanging around, pushed to one corner. Nothing was on any of the nightstands, other than a lamp, and nothing on the bureaus. I went into the bathrooms, and there was nothing on the vanity in them, other than the occasional hand soap. I looked in the showers too, but nothing other than a simple bar of soap. The bedroom on the left had an empty suitcase laying open in the middle of the bed. This was one of the rooms with the empty closet. After seeing all of this, I came back onto the landing and started slowly guiding everyone down the stairs. They were still talking and absent-mindedly followed me down to the living room. That's when he mentioned dinner, and we left shortly after. I think that's why my mom didn't notice a lot and didn't believe me at first. She didn't take more than a quick glance upstairs, and when we were in the basement, he was just as talkative the entire time. A friend of a friend who happens to work with law enforcement pointed out that this was probably a trafficking situation. The bedroom in the basement is where a potential victim is kept, drugged and abused until broken, before being passed off down the pipeline. I feel as if this is a plausible explanation, as well as the fact that this city is actually a hot spot for that. I'm so grateful we got out of there, and I can only hope that my experience might help someone one day notice the details and make their way out of their own situation, before something happens that can't be taken back. And for the record, that was the last time I ever viewed a potential place to live off of the Craigslist platform. This happened when my sister and I were around 6 and 8 years old. We're now 43 and 45 respectively, and it is still something that haunts us occasionally. We had an amazing municipal swimming pool in our neighborhood. South African summers in Johannesburg are hot and long. The swimming pool itself was the ultimate destination. Joe was that adult that was always at the pool. He would swim laps, practice diving, and tickle our feet under the water. Just telling this makes me feel nauseous. To this day, I still have issues with my feet being touched or being wet, and I only realized the connection last year. Whenever we would sit on the edge of the pool with our feet hanging in, he would swim past all of us and tickle our feet in a row. I can't remember all the details 100%, but someone playfully screamed, oh no, Joe, and Joe did it again, this time in a sing-songy voice. Oh no, Joe, not again, Joe. We all laughed, as kids do. Then he tickled our feet again and made us sing his new song. Oh no, Joe, not again, Joe. It became a game. He would grab us under the water and we would sing. It went from feet tickling to chasing us and grabbing our waists under the water. That song never seems to fade from my memory. One day at the pool, Joe tells us that he has this amazing farm just out of town. He'd like to take us to see his animals, his tall corn plants, and his own swimming pool. It sounded like a slice of heaven to all of us kids. He was talking to several children, boys and girls. He told us to be at the swimming pool on Saturday, but not to tell our parents, and we would make the journey in his car. As soon as we get home, though, we tell our dad everything. We are so excited. The farm sounds amazing. Our dad says absolutely not. Who's this Joe, anyway? We tell him that Joe is our friend at the pool, and he plays with our feet and chases us around the pool. My dad says that actually, maybe we can go, but he wants to meet this Joe first. The next day, we go to the pool and we tell Joe we can go with him, but our dad wants to meet him first. Joe is upset that we told our dad, but we tell him not to worry. Our dad was cool. So Joe makes the walk home with us, we only lived about 5 blocks from the pool, and comes up our steps to meet our dad. Joe is maybe 5 feet 6 inches tall. My dad is 6 feet 7 inches tall, the personification of a gentle giant. My dad is super polite to Joe, asks him loads of questions about the farm. Where is it exactly? How many kids are going? has Joe spoken to the other parents? Joe, to his credit, was cool as a cucumber the entire time. He answered the question smoothly and confidently. My dad ended by saying, Joe, I look forward to seeing you on Saturday at your farm. I think we'll all have a great time. I'll bring my girls, though, and we'll meet you there. Now, this next part is a bit of a blur for me. I'm not sure how we ended up driving in a convoy with about three other dads and their kids from the pool, but it was exciting. My dad had the map book, leading the convoy to the best farm in the world. We drove for about an hour out of town, and we arrive at this derelict farmhouse. No animals, no live plants, certainly no swimming pool. Just this run-down, isolated, scary looking farmhouse in the middle of nowhere. I remember being really confused by this. My dad must have read the map book wrong. All the dads huddled together. We have no idea what they're saying, but now they're angry. We as kids are also angry, but for a very different reason. We're obviously lost, and it's our dad's fault. Everyone gets in their cars, And that's when I start screaming at my dad about how he deliberately got us lost because he doesn't like Joe and he didn't want us to have fun. My dad, though, is silent and pensive. After my tantrum, he says to my sister and I in a very calm, deep voice, Kids, Joe is a bad man. He was going to hurt all of you. He is the bad man your mom is always warning you about. There is no farm. There is no pool. And I'm so happy that you girls told me what was going on because something bad could have happened to you. His strong voice breaks in those last words. The gravity of his tone and the break in his voice made my sister and I realize immediately that he was right and that we were in danger. We cried and apologized, and he made us promise to tell him if we ever saw Joe again. Joe stayed away from the pool for about a month. As soon as we saw him come through the gate one day, though, we quickly got dressed and ran home. When my dad got home from golf that afternoon, we told him that Joe was at the pool again. The next day, we went back to the pool as a family. We were swimming and my dad was sitting on one of the benches to the side. Well, in walks Joe. He comes to the edge of the pool and is calling us, motioning us to come over to him. We refuse, though. He's obviously getting frustrated. And that's when my dad gets up and walks over to Joe. Hey, bud. Can we, uh, have a chat real quick? Joe physically shrunk at this point. My dad had his hand on Joe's shoulder and was guiding him towards the exit of the pool. I don't know for a fact what happened, but I can only imagine what my dad did and said to Joe at that point. My dad is the utmost gentleman, but don't mess with his girls. After this encounter, we never saw Joe at the swimming pool or otherwise ever again. My dad has always been my hero, long before this story took place, and well after. He made sure we were taken care of, and that Joe was taken care of in his own way. Both of those things, I'm tremendously thankful for. I grew up in a small town in Denmark, with a population of roughly 3,000 people. Typical small place, nothing ever really seemed to happen, and every family that lived there knew just about everyone else in town. As I remember, what I'm going to tell you now shook the entire town for years afterwards. I was born in 1999, so that put me in kindergarten during the spring of 2005. I remember it being a typical school day for us kids. Up until the point when a strange and agitated man showed up at our classroom door. This man turned out to be the father of one of the girls in my class. He was out of sorts and demanded that my teacher allowed him to see his daughter and excuse her from the rest of class. As a kid, I didn't know what was going on but I know now that my teacher could tell that something wasn't right. I don't know whether it was a look in the man's eyes, his obvious anger, or what, but it was very clear that the father was extremely upset. My teacher pretty much stonewalled him and denied him from being able to see his daughter. After a short but seemingly very uncomfortable discussion in the school's hallway, the father eventually gave up. He walked out to his car without looking back and simply drove off this was something that all of us kids could see from the classroom window. As the afternoon wore on, I think my teacher grew pretty worried given the situation and decided to call the local police and ask them to check in on the family's home. I don't think anyone was prepared for what we'd learn. In a small town, news moves fast. And this was before the internet as we know it today, and certainly before smartphones. Turns out, the father had left from our school and gone straight home. He had words with his wife, the mother of the girl in my class, before murdering her and then taking his own life immediately after. At the time, my best friend lived next door to that family. My friend has an older brother, who was home sick from school that particular day, and while he laid in bed playing on his Game Boy that afternoon. He heard screams coming from the neighbor's house, not screams from an argument, but horrible, terror-filled screams, followed by three distinct gunshots, then silence for what felt like minutes, before another single shot rang out. As if this isn't chilling enough, there's another detail that I'd like to share. The police officer that found the two lifeless bodies of the parents was responding to the call that my teacher had made. The way it was told to us, he had made it to the house minutes after those shots rang out, after my teacher's welfare check request, but before 112 was able to send units out. Had he been five minutes sooner to arrive, he may have been able to stop what was about to transpire. or. The scene could have been way worse. It creeps me out just to think about this, and I feel so sorry for the daughter who was left an orphan at such an early stage in life. I really don't know what would have happened to the daughter if my teacher had not stopped the man from taking her home with him, although I know where my mind immediately goes. I don't know where she is now, but my hope of hopes is that your life is halfway decent, wherever you are, girl. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.